You've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with Cecilia Tan. Literary Alchemists, I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Brian Humphrey. And you're listening to a special showcase episode of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With. 20 Minutes With is a really fun segment in which Dave and I have the great honor to share the microphone with uh, people who are doing what we wish we were. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And before we get into the the introduction in the 20 minutes, a couple of things. Um, Dear friends, this is probably not going to be work safe and certainly won't be uh, child safe. Uh, fair warning, if you're offended by material along those lines, um, please feel free to switch off at this point. Uh, the other thing to bring to your attention is I sound a bit mush-mouthed, uh, uh, and that is because I'm a poster child for dental care. Uh, actually, I'm the, I'm the other side. Uh, what happens when you don't take care of your teeth? Um, I have dentures, and the dentist took them from me today, uh, <laughs> unbeknownst to me and, and at great chagrin. So as we proceed <laughs> through this episode, I may sound a bit mush-mouthed. Uh, I will crave your indulgence and your sympathy, uh, and no small amount of laughter as we go along yes, with yes. it. Okay, <laughs> that said and that done, Brian. Yes. Our guest host. Yes. Our guest host started writing when she was old enough to hold a crayon. <laughs> making making illustrated books out of manila paper and writing out the text phonetically. All right? Now, clearly, she always knew she wanted to be a writer. And for years, she studied the writer's craft, racking up piles of unfinished or unsubmitted manuscripts. Now, sure, she wrote columns for Super Teen Magazine and features for Teen Machine as a teenager. And sure, she was consuming all the best fantasy and sci-fi from Roger Zelazny, Marion Zimmer Bradley, and Ray Bradbury. But it felt like she had nothing to say until she started writing erotica. And yeah, and in that assertion of her maturity and sexuality, the genie was out of the bottle. She found her voice and began to write on all manner of topics and genres, including non-erotic science fiction, baseball essays, literary fiction, and more. Now, she attended Brown University, securing a BA in, get this, Brian, linguistics and cognitive science. Wow. Yeah, AI, man, the, the mechanics <laughs> of thought. How badass is that? Uh, and it really, it kind of mirrors what we've heard so many times. If you're going to be a writer, do your undergraduate studies in anything but writing. Now, always with an eye on the fringe, in the 90s, our guest host was blogging. Before there were blogs. (laughs) (laughs) She was active on the news groups of the time and it was actually on alt.sex.bondage on that particular news group that her works were first seen by the world. Now in 92, she decided it was time to hone her craft a little more and pursue a master's degree in writing at Emerson College. Now as an auspicious omen of things to come, Shortly before she began classes, she received her first acceptance letter for her story, A True Story, for the Herotica Four Anthology. Uh, During graduate school, she fired up a small publishing venture titled Circlet Press 
and used it to publish erotic sci-fi and fantasy by herself and several contemporaries. Circlet Press continues to this day and currently has published hundreds of titles, many of them erotic science fiction with occasional forays into related genres. Now, her stories have appeared in Ms. Magazine, Penthouse, Asimov's Science Fiction, Absolute Magnitude, Best American Erotica, Best Lesbian Erotica, Nerve.com, and many, many others. In 2010, she was inducted into the Hall of Fame for GLBTQ writers at the Saints and Sinners Literary Festival, and her serialized work, Darren's Guitar Chronicles, won the inaugural Rose and Bay Award for Crowdfunded Fiction. Her works, try saying that without teeth, crowdfunded fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Her books have been nominated many times for the Lambda Literary Award and NLA Writing Awards. Now, she's also a huge baseball fan and has written about baseball since she recorded Dave Rigetti's No Hitter in her high school diary back in 1983. Her literary <laughs> baseball pursuits include the 50 Greatest Yankee Games and the 50 Greatest Red Sox Games, co-authored by Bill Nowlin. She's written weekly columns for GothamBaseball.com, Yankees Extreme, and occasional articles for Yankees Magazine, and continues to produce the online baseball magazine Why I Like Baseball. In 2011, she became the Publications Director for the Society of American Baseball Research and co-editor of the Baseball Prospectus Annual with King Kaufman. A few other juicy details. She holds a black belt in Taekwondo. Ooh. She's a certified technician in Okazaki Restorative Massage. She has a cat with five names. <laughs> she plays guitar, the flute, the mandolin, and a bunch of other things. She's worked as a bird. In, uh, she's worked in a bird feeder factory as a radio disc jockey, a cook's assistant, a professional ski instructor, and taught mime and Spanish to elementary school kids. Hopefully, not at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it is our singular pleasure to welcome to the big chair at the round table, Cecilia Tan. Cecilia, I, I can only imagine what, what a veritable maelstrom of activity is going on in your life right now. So thank you so much for making the time to join us here on the round table. Thank, thank you so much for having me. Now you know why I never get any sleep. <laughs> God, no kidding. <laughs> Holy no crap. kidding. Amazing. <laughs> Well, we, we have 20 minutes with you, Cecilia, and we are going to take every advantage of that we possibly Excellent. can. Uh, let me just make a note of uh, the time, uh, set the timer, so we, which we will ignore, of course, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it's just the way it goes around here. Um, Cecilia, let me uh, uh, lead off with a question. Sure. You, uh, back in 98, when you were blogging on the non-blog, mm -hmm. uh, you wrote a very cool post about the value of fantasy and genre fiction to our culture and society. Um, basically, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but basically you, you postulated that uh, our evolved brains crave stimulation, but our survival instincts keep most of us from leaping off of cliffs and taking those risks and adventures that would lead to that stimulation. So that stimulation has to come from our ability to empathize and fantasize. And that was f almost 15 years ago. And I'm wondering if in that intervening time, if, if you still feel that that is the, the real value of fantasy and genre fiction, if your opinions have evolved, what, what do you think nowadays uh, that value really is? Well, I, I still think that. I think that 
a, a large part of how we learn about the world now comes from reading and not from going out and experiencing it. Um, I mean, a, a human being can only experience so much in the 24 hours per day that we're given, and we're supposed to be sleeping for a third of that. Um, the uh, but we can learn so much about other people, other cultures, other you know ways of being um, through through reading. You can with fiction, you can have an uh, an immersive experience that can actually change the way you think. And what's interesting is that at the time when I wrote that 15 years ago, cognitive science, which you know is my undergraduate degree was in, um, hadn't proved any of that. And what's interesting is that now the studies are kind of finally starting to come out where they're doing sort of before and after questionnaires and, you know, this and that with readers where they have them, re you know, whatever, fill out like this giant lifestyle questionnaire and then like read a book and then answer the questions again six months later. Um, and it's very interesting that they're, they're starting to find that, you know, people's attitudes towards things like um, there was a big study done in uh, romance novel readers uh, about what their attitudes were towards safe sex and condom use mm. and, and I guess the way they do these studies, they don't tell you what it is that they're asking about so that you can't, you know, kind of game your answers. And what they found was then, then the women who, you know, answered the, this questionnaire, which had tons of questions on it, one of which was what their attitude was toward condom use, then they had them read tons of, you know, a ton of romance novels. These were already romance readers. And they tracked which ones read romance novels that had, um, you know, sort of condom use in the scenes, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever kind of this, that, the other, and then had them sort of answer all the questions again, like a couple of months later, and they discovered that many women had um, moved their attitudes, you know, to being positive toward condom use when maybe wow. they had been against it before, um, and you know, are sort of unaware of the fact that their their uh, their attitudes were changing. That's fabulous. Um, so you're just yeah. like, wow, and 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 romance novels. I mean, are uh, speaking as a writer of romance novels, among the many things that I write. You can get pretty far from the quote unquote real world sometimes, you know, with the idealized, you know, perfect man and the perfect hair and the perfect everything. You know, right. Kind of right. stuff. I mean, you know, there's a lot of idealization going on in romance novels. And so it's not like, uh, it's not like they have this gritty realism, you know, or, you know, whatever. Uh, it kind of, it's, it's just it's, as much a fantasy as Terry Brooks or. Yeah, or exactly. Tolkien, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're, 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 they are, uh, they are a fantasy and it is a fictional fantasy that's meant to, especially a romance is meant to arouse your emotions, um, you know, among other things, uh, you know, so it's, it's just interesting to find that then people's sort of attitudes can be changed you know, in these sort of, sort of subtle ways. So science fiction and fantasy, I think, especially has this ability to dislocate us from our our regular reality. It takes us out of sort of our political context, our sort of identity politics and things, you know, that might be, you know, dogging us, um, you know, right wing, left wing. None of that matters when you put it on another planet and then you can kind of pick and choose which, is which issues you're going to be dealing with, you know, and that, sure. that disarms people, disarms the reader a little bit where they're like, oh, this isn't this isn't the guy next door. This is, you know... Joe Spaceman, you know, um, and then they, they, they don't, their, their defenses are down a little bit. And um, so, yeah, I still definitely believe that. I, I, I believe even more strongly that um, one of the things that we can do is open people's eyes to possibilities, uh, ways of living, you know, and, uh, and other kinds of people, cultures, whatever, than, um, than they're used to. Are you aware but, of that consciously when you're writing? I, I am. I don't think that most people are necessarily, okay. but, uh, you know, I am sort of as an, in, a, in an almost sort of activist way where, you know, I want, I want to live in a world where there is more acceptance of 
sexual diversity, relationship diversity, and gender diversity, you know. Um, and part of my way of making that world happen is, you know, not just voting uh, for the candidates who are going to be most supportive of that, but by kind of putting these stories out into the world and, you know, hopefully loosening people up a little bit, <laughs> you know. Sure. seeding possibilities, absolutely. I, I, yeah. I get the comments all the time. I mean, in Amazon reviews and in email and comments on my blog and things saying, oh, well, you know, I don't like kinky this or I don't like gay mm -hmm. this, you know, that, the other. But I liked your story about such <laughs> and such, you know. And so now, that's, I feel like every time I get one of those, I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know, I just, what's, I just, like, what's the distinction? What yeah. is it about your work that makes it so much more approachable than the other, the other work that apparently they've read that they don't like? Well, I think <laughs> part of it is that people have an impression of what, you know, so-and-so, what gay fiction is going to be like or what, you know, in the same way they have an impression of what gay people are going to be like. And then, you know, then suddenly the next thing, you know, their brother comes out and they're like, oh, crap. <laughs> you know? I was wrong. Now I got to deal with this, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, I have to reach, I have to change my conceptions. But not everybody has, you know, the uh, quote-unquote advantage of a close relative, you know, <laughs> sure. coming or, out to them. Or that real-life experience, sure. Some yeah. people are able yeah. to, you know, live in their little not-in-my-backyard world, you know, so forth. But um, I, I think the main thing is I, I try to do what good fiction should do, which is to create sympathy or really empathy between the reader and the main character, regardless of how different the reader and the main character are. Right. I mean, you know, your, your main character, if he's going to be a you know, spacefaring, uh, you know, adventurer, whatever. Most people who are reading this book are not an adventurer, right. you know. <laughs> so, right. we, we hope. You know, that kind of thing. At least half of them are not going to be the gender of the character that, you know, that you're presenting. And then, you know, even within the same gender, there's going to be vast differences. So, you know, it, th that's, th that's the, the number one thing I think fiction needs to do is create that connection between the main character and the reader. And if you do that, then you can... You can Put your main character through all kinds of things, <laughs> and the reader will stick with you because they are, you know, that's sort of the that's the hook, um, is that they're, you know, they get to go on a virtual reality journey basically, except without and there's no tech. The only technology involved is the fact that our eyeballs, you know, can <laughs> can interpret the symbols upon printed on pages, and you know, well now you can have your Kindle or whatever, but you know, right. that sure. that we can transmit ideas through language, through written language that create. Pictures, smells, images, feelings, emotions in your own head. So, so you're basically you know. casting yourself as like a liaison between these experiences that your readers may or may not have had, and and the reader himself. You're like you're like an ambassador of 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 new things to people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. And you know, yeah. some of them are obviously going to be new things. I mean, if I'm writing a a quest story in which our characters, you know, ride horses through an enchanted forest, I mean, obviously none of us have done that. Right. So, you know, it's like if you're writing a fantasy and then the fact is that I write so much erotic fantasy and erotic science fiction, you know, people people have a sort of basic gut feeling about what you know what sex is like um but the details are what you know can can change uh, you know drastically from story to story i mean and i mean in real life can change drastically from girlfriend to girlfriend or boyfriend to boyfriend you know absolutely, absolutely. um so you know uh it's it's one of those ways and, and if people are people are often afraid i think of their their own erotic fantasies um society has judged them you know, so forth and so on, or they're afraid that society will judge them for, you know, the things they fantasize. And then, uh, you know, 
but when it's in a fictional book, you know, well, okay, that, you know. I, I wanted it, to ask you about that from the, from the perspective of a writer. Um, mm. Because, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about acceptance by society. And one of the things that I do with my creative writing kids early, early on is I make them come up with a pseudonym. And I tell them, put your pseudonym on the page. Don't put your real name and write mm-hmm. about whatever you want. And I don't care if you cuss up a storm. I don't care if you, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter because I can't find you, you know. Right. <laughs> and what's interesting is that they're more tame when they do that assignment than when they put their actual name on the page. Interesting. Um, which is really strange to me. And, and so one of the things that I, I think writers often deal with is, um, you know, society not being very accepting. And so we, we work within certain confines. And can you ever really let go of the social confines and write in a completely unbridled manner? Right. Well, this is interesting. I, talking about, you know, choosing a pseudonym, I think a lot of people I know may have more than one, in fact, and they'll write different styles in each one as if they're kind of taking on a persona, sure. you know. And um, the funny thing is I've never used a pseudonym. Um, I'm honestly just too lazy to uh, come up with a good one. <laughs> There's a lot of extra um, <laughs> you know, Well, and, and the whole activist thing was, well, if I'm trying to make a world that's more accepting of, you know, um, variations in sexuality, well, then I should be out of the closet, you know, was sure, when I was right. in my early 20s was sort of my thought about it. But, you know, I, I was fortunate to have made this decision, like, before I got a job as a children's librarian, for example. Um, you know, if I were doing <laughs> yeah. it all over again now, I might have changed it just for, this, for, just for the sake of sort of brand naming, you know. Um, Cicely Tan is a very good name. I like it a lot. But, it's, but there are actually a lot of us. It's it's like Mar- in in Asia, Cecilia Tan is like Mary Smith is here. <laughs> there, there, <laughs> no. There's an Asian so, cookbook by Cecilia Tan. I, yes, right? there. Yes, exactly. She's not me, and <laughs> uh, you know, and so I. It's like any new social media platform comes along, I have to try to be the first Cecilia Tan to grab the name, you know, and stuff. It's just like, oh gosh. If I I'm doing it all over again, I'm, I, I might have picked something else, but, you know, but not because right. I wanted to write under sort of a persona. You know, part of it was that I thought, well, I'm going to try to make a name for myself. I want to be my name, you know. Um, but, yeah, sure. it does lead to some confusion uh, also because of the so many genres I write in. Um, I get these, you know, these kind of timid fan letters that are sometimes like, by the way, are you also the Cecilia Chan who writes this, you know, the baseball <laughs> things? Or I get from the baseball fans, are you also the one who writes these romance novels and the erotic stuff and, you know, whatnot? It's very funny because it's like they're almost not sure is it okay to kind of cross the line, like as if either way I might be offended somehow. Right, <laughs> you know? right. No, it's, it's just all good. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm like, no, nah, it's all one big ball of wax. I write about what I'm passionate about, and that includes a lot of things. <laughs> so... <laughs> We'll be back with more of our conversation with Cecilia Tan after this brief promotional break. Yes, we know there's a million podcasts out there, but there's only one Hollywood Outsider. Every week, your hoes, Aaron, Brian, Justin, and Scott put their own spin on the latest in movie and TV news, new and upcoming releases, topics that are on ours or our listeners' minds, and hell, we even throw in some trivia where you can win a cavalcade of imaginary prizes. Most importantly, we have fun doing it. So come take a listen. The Hollywood Outsider is available on iTunes, Zoom, Stitcher Radio, or at thehollywoodoutsider.com. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Cecilia Tan. Well, and speaking of which, Brian, you found something very cool that you were that we were talking about before we started recording. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, on your website, you talk about your, your interest in tarot. And um, <clears throat> when I was in, in college, I wrote a, a, a one act that was based on the Hanged Man card. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to do a whole series. I just, you know, I, I'm lazy, and so I ran out of steam. But 
I, I wanted to know because you talked about, you know, using it in your writing. And so how do you use tarot to inform or inspire your writing? Well, so to me, the, the, the tarot is a tool for revealing the subconscious. You know, that's what it is. When, right. when, some, when you sit down at a tarot reader's table and they lay out the cards for you, they're asking you, really, to interpret mm-hmm. the cards. You know, uh, um, I mean, at least that's the way when I'm reading for other people, I do it. You know, I say, oh, you know, here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's a powerful woman in your life who may be, you know, blocking you. And people, be, and people will immediately go, oh, that's my boss. You know, or, that's my boss. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, okay. And, and then later they'll right. be like, oh, your, your reading was so accurate. And I'm like, of course it is because you're the one who, never mind. You know, <laughs> Don't tell them that. Sometimes, yeah. but I'm like, of course it was accurate because you're the one who put all the... Pieces together, you know, that kind of thing. And that's, that's, you know, in that way, it's really not that different from psychotherapy in which you're just trying to ask the leading questions, you know, talk therapy to get the person to ask, answer the question for themselves. Why am I so miserable? You know, <laughs> so, you know, so the act of writing fiction is the same. It's the act of revealing your subconscious to yourself. You've got an idea somewhere in the back of your mind. You have to trust that muse and get it out onto the paper. You know, and uh, almost all writer's block is sort of a failure of confidence, where you're just like, oh, no, maybe this, maybe this idea isn't good enough to deserve to be on paper, or maybe I'm not a good enough writer to get it onto the paper, or, you know, whatever. Whatever the reservations you're having, that's almost always what's underlying it. It's, it's very rarely, I think, that people are actually, like, stuck, them, you know, wrote Blocked. a whole plot, yeah. or, you know, you know right, technical right, yeah. stuff can be solved. You know, it's, it's the... It's the spiritual stuff if you want to call it that you know where it's like sure. oh do i have the nerve to write this damn novel <laughs> you know that's so do you do you I do love- an actual tarot spread of the cards as you're as you're writing well, or no, sometimes or, you know if i feel like i'm getting stuck you know so like sometimes you, you're kind of meandering you know like is this really going where i wanted to or and then you say what is this story really about you know maybe the problem is that i'm trying to make this story into something that it isn't maybe i need to write the story that it is and then the story that i want to write i have to sit down some other day and write that you know um, That's because, an intriguing process. You know, yeah, because yeah, th- there is. There's this sort of idea that your conscious mind has of what the story is supposed to be like. And that's often, you know, if you're a professional writer, you, know, you get calls for submissions for anthologies and things, you know, where the, and there'll be things like, we want a woman centered, uh, you know, erotic story with the moon as a symbol. Sure. You know, or, you know, a lot of the science fiction ones are like, you know, we're looking for near future, you know, stories involving human conflict with mechanized armor. And you're like, okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and then you're, but the thing is, you're, the story still has to come out of your subconscious. You know, so your subconscious is somewhere in there, you've really been wanting to tell the story about this orphaned girl who can see the future, you know, or whatever. And then you put those two things together. But then sometimes, you know, as you're going along, you're like, you know, this really isn't the orphaned girl story. This is actually, this is actually me working out my stuff about, you know, my whatever, you know, <laughs> uh, sure. about my parents. Whatever issue is at hand. Whatever, whatever issues you are that, you, you know, you work through. Right. So, right. so it's, more, it's more about informing yourself as the writer than, like, being stuck and having an open door and just grabbing a card from the major arcana and saying, oh, the fool walks in. Okay, I mean, I'll put a character there are, in. There are times when I'm like, okay, I need to sit down and write something. I'm, like, I'm on a deadline. I've promised an editor a story, and I have no idea what to write. Right. And I just say to myself... You know, like you're staring at the blank page, like, uh, you know, I've got a bunch of half-baked ideas. None of them feel right. None of them seem like, you know, how do you choose? So, yeah, sometimes it, it forces you to focus. And you pull a card and you're like, oh, 
the Ace of Swords. Oh, this is a you know, this is a knight starting a journey, you know, or whatever. Sure, that sure. kind of yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, right. This is a hero's journey. I forgot, you know. And it's like <laughs> it forces you to forces you to focus, you know, or whatever. Oh, you know. Oh, I pulled. Um, you know, I've heard the Three of Swords. You know, this is the heartbreak card. Um, what's going on here? You know, like, oh, maybe yeah. what the story's missing is I'm spending too much time on the mechanized armor and not enough on the damage that's being done, inter- you know, psychically to the person inside who has to, you know, the warrior or whatever, you know, that kind of a thing, who's protected right. by all this armor but but damaged by the, the you know, the process of war. I don't know. I, I, by the way, I have not written this mechanized armor story, but <laughs> if I did, maybe that's what <laughs> You know, I was going to say, I'm, I'm betting that you're going to sometime in the near future. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I should probably a, also mention that, that Dave did an entire radio season based on the Major Arcana. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was very cool. And, and you, yeah. you were there. You were a part of that, Bri. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was a voice actor. The kind of fun thing is that, you know, because I write fantasy, I get to go to this sort of meta level where then I use the actual tarot cards in the story, too. You know? <laughs> so sure, it's like absolutely. I absolutely, yeah. 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 You know, a series of four books called Magic University, which is a, um, uh, it, it's like, a, what if Harry Potter were going to college instead of to, you know, grade school? Um, so it's, it's hidden Magic University inside Harvard. One of the subjects they have is, in fact, sex magic, you know, so, I mean, it's me talking about <laughs> it is, This is a um, you can book, come on. Yeah, yeah, basically. I describe it as it's all the sex, drugs, and rock and roll that are missing from the Harry Potter book. <laughs> you know, or at least, at least the sex, you know, so um, I thought, well, I'll, I'll, just, I'll use tarot as like a little motif in this because it'll be one of the subjects that, you know, our main character studies, you know, and whatnot, sure. and I just thought, okay, you know, trying to get a little getting to know you scene with my, you know, main character meeting, you know, the, like the character is going to be his best friend throughout the series, right? And the best friend does a tarot reading for him. And, uh, you know, and I sat down and pulled the actual cards. And then what was funny is, I, you know, I, it was just like four cards. And then I was like, oh, you know, what's funny is that that maps exactly to the plot that I've already plotted out for this. Perfect. You know? <laughs> and I was like, you know, I just, it was just funny. So then each book... I work a tarot reading into the actual plot, and I did the actual reading live, where I shuffled the cards, pulled them out, you know, whatever, and stuck with exactly what I got, and what I got fit exactly every single time. And I was just like, okay, this is, this is actually kind of getting creepy. <laughs> you know? What a great story prompt tool. And I imagine you could use, yeah. like, the I Ching for that, or anything yeah. that, would, that totally. would provide you with those. Right, right. That, that's what yeah. divination runes, is. You know? Yeah, yeah divination yeah. is just... Forcing yourself to focus on what's going on underneath the conscious world, you know? So, yeah. So now that I've learned how to use tarot cards, I can do divination with anything. You can give me pages of the dictionary. I can do it with salt and pepper packets in a diner. I mean, you know, you name it. It's like, (laughs) it's best when you're sort of on the spot and you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Here, let's reading for you right now, you know, whatever, and just kind of whatever. And and the thing is, people are like, but you're making it up as you go along. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're going to get comments about that. (laughs) Guess what? We make it up as we go along. That's right. (laughs) That's That's, magic. That's life. That's storytelling. That's all of it, baby. Your your mind is paying attention to a lot of stuff that, you know, your conscious self is not necessarily paying attention to. And when you go to write, all that comes through. You know, a lot of you know, people in divination or in healing, massage therapists, whatever they say, oh, it doesn't come from me. It comes through me, you know, as if it comes out of the ether or, you know, whatever, right. out of the, you know, out of the world. And I said, that, so that's, of course, it seems like that because that's the way our perception works. 
<laughs> you know? Exactly. So yeah, it, it, yeah. it makes perfect sense. That's how the mechanism of our perception works. And a huge part of writing is sort of turning off that conscious perception or, or, or you know, keeping it on but, but not allowing it to block sort of what's coming out from all the stuff that you've put into the hopper. And, isn't, and this is true of all art. You know, if you're a musician, every song you've ever heard has kind of gone in the back of your mind somewhere. And it's going to come back out somewhere, you know? Yeah. So Some writers call that the junkyard. Yeah. You, you fill up your junkyard so when you need to go rummaging for something cool, you can find something. You got something there. It's in there. And right. this is the thing. I'm telling you, when you start populating your story with details, whether it's a short story, a novel, whatever it is you're writing, you know you have stuff in there that just that you think doesn't mean anything at first, you know, where you talked about, like, I don't know, what color the hero's car was and what kind of trees he had planted in the front yard or whatever because he's about to get out of his car, walk into the house and open the door and discover his girlfriend's been murdered, right? You know, so you're, this is not a story I've written, by the way, but, you know, just hypothetically <laughs> speaking, right? And so you're, you're trying to build up whatever suspense for the reader. Later, yeah. you know, when you're stuck, you're just like, damn it, you know, like, I need something, this, this, I mean, this story doesn't work, or something's not, you know, fitting in here, or what is it? And then you suddenly realize that one of the details from that opening scene is the thing that you're missing, you know, like that there's a letter lying on the table. Oh, yeah, what about the letter? You know, and it's like, at the time, you just thought of it as a detail that was a, a piece of texture, and the next thing you know, no, no, that's the key to the whole story. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I think that's what makes writing fun. That it's it's yeah. those things, those discoveries that uh, somehow I knew that it was going to be needed and I put it in. And right. uh, and when it just shows up, it's exhilarating. Yeah, but Cecilia, you're not a discovery writer, right? You're an outliner. Well, so th- what I've discovered is, you know, like the, there's the there's the super duper outliners, you know, the the plotters, right, who can right. plot all the way from the beginning to the end. And then there are the total writers for Discovery who just like kind of have this concept and then they, you know, like they put their Barbie dolls into the diorama and make them go and see what happens, right? Here's what turns out I am. Now having written, you know, 12 novels and I don't know how many other things, <laughs> my, my outline that I've written in advance is really, really good for exactly the first half. Mm. And then we get to the turning point. Which, you know, to me, it's like it's walking, you're climbing a mountain. And then you get to the top of the mountain, and everything from there is going to be falling action. And you look down the mountain, and it does not look the same when you're standing at the top as it did when you just kind of flew over it in a helicopter to draw out the map that was the proposal you sold the publisher. You sure. know, you can see some of the outcroppings and things are the same, and you're still going to end up in basically the same place. I mean, especially the romance. You know, you have to end up with a happy ending. Right. But, you know, but then you're like, I can't get down there the way that I thought I was going to. And so my whole second half always ends up being totally by seat of the pants. You know? <laughs> so you're a little bit of both. You, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm half and half, you know, and it's just like, this is the story of my life. You know, it's like a half Chinese, half Irish, you know? <laughs> well, I think that's the best way to go, personally. I mean, having yeah. a framework to start with gets you, gets your momentum going, but being free and liberated enough that you can wander off the path when it no longer suits you is, is an important creative tool. Yeah, that by the time you get sure. up there, like, I mean, the, the, the worst example of it, worst qu- slash best, is the first book in the Magic University series. Because it's a Harry Potterish book, like each individual book has a mystery within it, and then there's the overarching plot that goes through the whole series. You know, and so the, the, the mystery, you know, there's a culprit, and, you know, our, our heroes are trying to do the sort of Scooby-Doo thing where they're trying to figure out who the culprit is, you know, whatever, and I'm... I'm literally in the middle of writing the scene in which the culprit will be revealed. At the moment when he's going to 
confront the, who he thinks is the culprit. And, and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be really cool, though, if, it, if instead of being, you know, this other person who I had set up, I had set up a red herring and the real culprit, you know, and whatever. I said, what if it was this other character who just happens to be the other person that I blocked in the scene on his other side? <laughs> right? Wouldn't it be cool if it was that guy? And then I, so I'm like, okay, yeah, let's change it. So let's make it that guy, write the whole rest of the book. From that point on, it's him. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go back and put all the hints and foreshadowing in to point to this guy that was missing, right? Because, of course, I didn't know it was him, right? Right, right, right. I go back, it's all in there already. Oh, wow. <laughs> you were already on it. <laughs> I subconscious knew perfectly well what was going on. I just didn't know what was going on. Until like, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, thanks for telling me, you know. Well, mm-hmm. you, you get around to it eventually. You have to write the letter to your editor where you're like, by the way. Um, <laughs> My subconscious is a son of a bitch. Holy it's not crap. Exactly turn out it's planned, you know, whatever. And it was okay with the, being the culprit, but it turned out the whole book series was like that. Because <laughs> it's a romance. It's him ending up with his true love, right? Well, in the end, his true love didn't turn out to be who I thought it was going to be. Um, <laughs> you know, like, a lot of things kind of went their own way in that series, but, you know, it's sort of a, it was a learning experience. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. Cecilia, yeah. I, I hate to jump in here, but but our clock uh, has literally <laughs> phased out of existence. Uh, our time continuum is so off track. We 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 must unfortunately stop. Uh, um, all right. But, but this, you know, unfortunately, I don't think we really warranted our our not safe for work or or put the kids to bed before you turn this on. But you know, this has been freaking awesome. Uh, <laughs> you know, so guys, it is safe for work. Go ahead and fire it up because Cecilia's got great stuff to say. Um, <laughs> Cecilia, thank you so much. This has been a blast, and I think very informative, not only for me and Bry, uh, yes. but also for our listeners. We really appreciate it. I'm glad. Excellent. Excellent. Very cool. um, Brian, closing thoughts as we quickly wrap this bad boy up? No, I, this, this has definitely been one of those that we could have just kept going. Yes, all night absolutely. Long, you absolutely. Know, and, and make a special two-hour episode. But yeah, no, <laughs> everything that, that you've said has really opened up a lot of doors, and so I, I appreciate it, and um, I'm glad that you were able to come on tonight. Thanks so much. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, friends, that was awesome. It gets better because in a couple of days, uh, you're going to hear the workshop episode where Cecilia comes back, sits in the big chair, and helps workshop a very cool story by someone who you know who has actually been on the show before. <laughs> and you probably already looked ahead and you know who it is, but I'm not going to spoil the surprise <laughs> right now. Uh, but until then, do, by all means, if you had a good time, spread the word. Let folks know. Uh, a review out at iTunes is always welcome. You can throw comments up on the uh, post itself on the website. Uh, drop us a line at the table at roundtablepodcast.com. We're also out on Facebook, facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Uh, we will see you in a couple of days, but until then, Brian, any suggestions on, on past times they might explore between now and then? Yeah, pull a new tarot card and go right. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, Because, dear friends, you find what you're looking for. Uh, So why not look for awesome stuff? Look for amazing, and I promise you will find it. We will see you in a couple of days. Until then, stay cool, stay frosty, stay awesome, and we will see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode is copyrighted 2012 by The Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. 
theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast or just send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.